Hello and welcome to Girls Gone Canon, Game of Thrones, Season 8, Episode 2. Ah! A Night of the Seven Kingdoms. Ah! AKA Episode 69. It's not even Episode 69. Dude, they really went all out for Episode 69. (laughs) 69! Oh, so it's a Nice of the Seven Kingdoms. Nice of the Seven Kingdoms. I'm Chloe. I am one of your hosts. You might know me as Lizen Arbor on Twitter, on Tumblr. I have a blog, LizenArborGold.com. And I'm Eliana, another one of your hosts. You probably know me as Glass Table Girl on Reddit, on the Mason Monthly Podcast, as Arithmetric on Twitter. I also have a blog. It's the Many Faced Blog. And spoiler alert, Eliana, your other host, just put out an amazing essay about Daenerys on her blog at the Many Faced Blog. Is it dot .wordpress.com? Dot .wordpress.com. Yeah, themanyfaceblog.wordpress.com. Please check it out. She did some awesome work. It's about Daenerys and how she's a very tragic Shakespearean character. What supports this and just all these moments in the books of what's going to lead to her endgame. And it is it's fabulous. Oh my god. <laughs> I told you we were going to have to reference yeah. that this episode and we did. Um, we already did. Yeah, but it's really good, and I'm not just saying this, I'm not just blowing smoke up your King's Landing, I am telling you that Eliana did the damn thing, and I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. Thank, thank you, Chloe. Yeah, I wrote a 40-page dissertation, and it really is a dissertation. Um, yeah, it's an essay that I'd been wanting to write for five years, since like 2014, when I first saw a passage that really evoked the idea of a Shakespearean tragic hero to me. And, you know, here we are, as you said, and the end game. I was like, if there's any time I'm going to put it out, it's got to be now. So. Yeah, I'm hoping for that inspiration myself. I, I got to get you. with that. What can Thanks, I do to babe. support I, you? I, uh, this is a, we'll talk about it in the oh, van. Wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, guys, it is... When you're hearing this, it's going to be probably April 23rd, 2019. If you're downloading it, if you're subscribed to us on platforms, you get the notification and you squeeze room in your crazy Game of Thrones podcast schedule because I know that is happening right now. Uh, But this weekend, this coming weekend, we are going to be at Ice and Fire Con, both girls, both canon. So say hi if you see us. I feel like you'll know us. I'll be running around doing a bunch of stuff. Eliana will be around. We'll be canon. Yeah, I'll be doing something. I'll we can like take a shot together or something. No, no, don't really, yeah. don't really. I will die if we do that many in one day. Um, You're just so small. We can take shots of water. I'll need that. You will need water shots. If you see Eliana, please give her a water shot. That's my. I'm wish, going to be personally. Yeah, I'm going to be carrying around. So Chloe gifted me <laughs> this wonderful tumbler. This is called a tumbler, right? Thermos. Yeah, what like do people call these things nowadays? Water bottle. I don't know. They don't always know. change the names of these things. One day they're like <laughs> tumblers. Like back then they were called thermoses, and now who knows what the fuck these are called? And it's got Mushu from Mulan, full of like glitter. It was so you, <laughs> it was. I couldn't even handle it. It was so but, you. I, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's perfect, and it's gonna be full of water the whole weekend. Thankfully, we got to keep her hydrated. True. So speaking of things that are so. Any of us. Not so Raven, though. Um, Let's talk about things that are so Chloe. First, before we do that, 
We should also mention that if you're listening to this, hey, we are doing a live stream on the Sunday of Ice and Fire Con, Sunday, April 28th, right after the episode, Happy Game of Thrones Day, Episode 3, The Big Battle at Winterfell. So we'll be going live somewhere around 10.30 to 11 p.m. EST. Mm-hmm. Uh, God's forbidding, Wi-Fi permitting. We uh, hope to use either a hotspot or Wi-Fi. We're getting there and figuring it out. But if you are a patron of ours, $1 and up, you will automatically get the link. I can't promise that there aren't going to be uh, some people leaking the live stream, as so happens on Sundays, we want to copy off of Game of Thrones, you know? <laughs> Leak for publicity. So if you get the link from someone, we're not going to have a bouncer, is what I'm saying. We will not. We are not checking IDs if you sneak in. No, not at the no. door. Someone just suddenly comes through, like Othar or Yarwick coming through the wall. Hey, you know what? And it's hard to say sneak in because we're like Winterfell right now. Our walls are open for refugees, man. Yeah, so I'm very excited about that. I'm sorry, everyone, if Chloe and I are an emotional mess. We don't know, but people are definitely going to die next episode, so. So many. There's got to be five of them, at least five. Yeah, if Chloe and I just have an emotional breakdown on the live stream, well, that's it. You're paying for it, is what we're talking. Or you're not, <laughs> depending on who you not. are, you know? That's yeah. just what's going to happen. Goddamn. People streaming the show for free in their How homes. How dare. Oh, it's like Game of Thrones when it leaks on streaming Sundays. Streaming our live stream. You guys, I knew all about the episode like an hour before it, and I couldn't even... Eliana was there. We, we recorded our John episode, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast. Yep. Uh, we were recording John 6 and 7. Yeah, John 6 mm-hmm. and 7, because we're having Joe Magician on next week for... John 8, which is so exciting. Same week that Nauticast is releasing John 8, wow. Stars Align. It's just like when Isn't you're at crazy? like 40 degrees, uh, what is it? Negative 40 degrees Fahrenheit or something. The equator. Oh, that too. No, I was I thinking know. about I don't like, actually. what is it? Like 40 <laughs> degrees Celsius is the same. I don't know. Whatever. Fuck that shit. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know things. I'm not very smart. But yeah, it's going to be a great episode. We, uh,. <laughs> <laughs> we're having a blast these are a lot of, it's a lot of content to put out i hope you guys are absorbing it i know there's a lot of content coming out right now so we will get into it for sure and now we will get into it for sure but right now what we're gonna get into i've been trying to get into this like this entire intro so <laughs> we got a we got a fire tweet sent to us from from listener dallas lazarus who asks the monster in me wants to hear Chloe lament the loss of Sansan. So, if you're not familiar, I feel like we need to be really welcoming. If you're new, thank you for coming to this meeting. Uh, this is going to be a sad meeting. Chloe's going to cry a lot. Uh, as most, I feel like this is like a Girls Gone Anonymous meeting. And <laughs> so... Dallas, thank you for writing this. If you want to hear me lament the loss of Sansan, I'm not going to give you the full loss of it today, but I will talk about it a little. We've been talking a lot about some Arthurian and just some different lore and legends, some mythos in our recent John chapters, especially since he embodies that hero, as we've spoken about. And we talked about Sir Gawain and the Green Knight and that Sleepy Hollow kind of feel that is north of the wall and that's happening with the others and... There was this really cool story that I researched that I didn't really know a lot about, about an Irish figure, Cahollan. Oh, I'm sorry, excuse that. me? Was that okay? Can you say it again? <laughs> I, I thought <laughs> you <No>! sneezed. 
Did I do okay on the first one? Are you just being... No, I'm just like, I straight up don't know this name or this word. Oh. So, okay, I'm gonna try it again. I think you did it right. Cahollin? I think you did it right. It's not very Irish accent. It's an Irish figure. Uh, he faces a trial very similar to Gawain versus the Green Knight in the story Gawain and the Green Knight. Uh, this is Cahollin Slays the Hound of Culain by Stephen Reed. It's from 1904. And... So, in the story, Cahollin, or Satanta, as he's also known, which is a much easier word to say, so now that's his name for Chloe, uh, he kills a savage hound in his self-defense, and he offers to take its place in protecting crops and people after he kills it, and then it's prophesied that he will do great things but live a short life and be known for his frenzied fighting style. So, there's some really similar kind of just themes and arcs built around Sandra Clegane there, right? We know his tragic story with his family and the empathy that the Stark girls have taught him, you know, like, do you know where the heart is? And there's a similar tragedy, actually, uh, to Hildebrand in Germanic lore. It's written in Old Germanic alliterative verse. It tells the tragic encounter of Hildebrand versus Hodebrand, a father and a son, who does not recognize him. The father doesn't recognize the son and kills him in battle, basically. So it's just like all these family tensions that super outline the Hound's endgame. It's likely an imminent, I hate the term, Clegane Bowl, but it is pretty much endgame. But as I've spoken about in some past theories, oh my god, it's not Clegane Bowl, but Clegane Soul, right? He's putting the dog to sleep. Sandor has to kill his brother because he has to put him down in mercy mercy that the stark girls taught him and that he taught them and so my personal end game i'm about to lament finally now that you've let me ramble eliana thank you eliana and dallas but my personal end game really in my head is that like the hound dies after protecting people from and bringing down his brother right bringing down gregor and sansa stays with him while he dies for good and while he rests finally for good, and his self-sacrifice, you know, is what heals him and his wounds and his redemption, and Sansa sings him one last song, freely, of her own will, and he doesn't have to beg for death or beg for the song or put a knife against her throat. But, it's okay, they're gonna give it all to Arya, just like killing Cersei. Arya's gonna stab him in the heart and be like, uh, mercy, blah, blah, blah. So, just like she's gonna kill Cersei as the Valonqar with Jamie's face after he dies. Do you really think that's what's gonna happen? Do you not? Can you tell me seriously on this podcast that you think they won't go I, there? Because you know they're not going to have Jamie Killer at this point. Uh, it's just like they did. There's just so much buildup around the Volunkar in the books that it's hard to imagine that they would go a different direction. But I guess they didn't include the Broken Man speech. So who knows? Anything could happen. Winterfell, season five. Eliana, when the leaks happened... Our good friend, the Lady Shelley on Twitter, messaged me, and she was like, it's happening, Chloe. They're doing it to Sansa. And I'm like, no, they're not, Shelley, and I wouldn't believe her. And she sent me photos from the trailer that proved Sansa was in Winterfell, Eliana. And you know what I said to her? I said, no, Shelley, they would never do that. There's no way they could ever get something so wrong. So, yes, that's happening. And I want you to get over it. Chloe, as you know, like, there have been episode leaks, and as Jeff has discussed, season eight... Episode 6 is entitled Lady Stoneheart is in this one. So 
as he, I think that there's still some things that they are keeping oh, close. Oh, so they're going to do that flashback to season four in Brienne's arc when it shows the crossroads in the woods, mm-hmm. and then it's actually going to finally flash instead of Arya on a boat to Lady Stoneheart. Yeah, it's going to be Lady Stoneheart. We're going to have Brienne's no chance, eyes. Yep, no chance and no choice. God, I'm so glad <laughs> they finally adapted A Feast for Crows. It took oh, a long God. Enough. Anyway, so... <laughs> Let's go to the intro. There's a lot that happened there, kind new, right? Just, just a couple just a things. Couple things. Definitely uh noticeably. Noticeably. I'm happened. so hyped every time I see the intro though. Like it's still exciting. I mean, it's only the second time we've seen this kind of intro, and I'm still very excited, alright? When the swords go out, when it goes up. Yeah, and you know, like the that was shroom, cool. shroom, shroom. Anyway. Yeah. I was like, what's gonna be different this time? I know, and I'm, like, paying attention, and I'm hoping maybe they, like, start adding to the astrolobe. See, Ooh. I remembered the word uh, from last episode. What if they start adding to it, though, and adding new stories as stuff happens this season? Like, I would love them to add A Night in the Seven Kingdoms to the astrolobe. Oh my god, I would cry. But we'll get there. I would cry. Uh, oh, and she could be represented by a star. The even oh star, God, the even star, the even star, like and then later? the even star becomes like I don't know seven points or something. I don't know something like that. I don't know how to. Holy, I don't know how to represent a star becoming holy. a knight. Okay, you guys, this episode is. I've never been. It's been years since I felt this way about a Game of Thrones episode. I'm giddy. It's Christmas. I'm happy. No, it was this Easter. Is the best week. Easter, whatever <laughs> religious holiday, Eliana. I'm an ex-Catholic, okay? I, it was an Easter present come true. The show was brought back to life. It was resurrected wow. before our eyes. Wow. Strong words, right? Strong, strong words. Bellas. And it was like a strong open. It was. You opened with Jamie. And we all knew it was going to open with Jamie. There's no way they, like, yeah. string us along that long. And But I think they did a really great job with doing that but doubling back for the intro for for one second so in the actual intro right in the first episode we established that you can see the path that the white walkers are taking by like the tiles on the game on the game board flipping over and this time they actually left those tiles flipped which i thought was really fun and then they continued that idea as they uh, move south from Last Hearth into Winterfell, and so you can really get the idea of like, oh, they are on their way to Winterfell, and that's what this episode is going to be about, preparing for that, especially as you see them begin to put these defenses around Winterfell. It's funny, I'm trying not to be that asshole, but it's like interesting the amount of time it's taken them to come south. Interesting. I mean, they <laughs> are made of ice, and they move at a glacial pace. Chloe. And honestly... My bones are made of paper, so I completely understand them. Yeah. They move at yeah. the at a glacial pace, which apparently actually maybe icebergs move very fast, but whatever. Jamie and Winterfell. <laughs> yeah, we open with Daenerys giving this cold like speech to Jamie saying, you know, like when I was little, my brother Viserys said, This is the guy that killed our father and this is what we should do to him. Uh, you know, she's reminded of what was taken from her family and Jamie, of course, bears all. He has nothing to lose, right? Like, what does he have to lose? These people don't like him. Okay, he goes back to King's Landing where Cersei doesn't like him. He has nothing to lose in front of these people and really nothing to prove but that he's there trying to do the right thing. Yes. And I kind of really loved speaking as 
of you were talking about that open, how they kept it focused looking at Jamie as they talked about those stories about him and the ones that Daenerys was told. This was his scene. It was. And Nikolai stole it, man. He looked great. Nikolai, yeah. They did great. He did, he kind of stole the episode in a lot of ways. He and he and yes. Gwendolyn Christie, but maybe they meant it. Maybe they didn't Ugh. steal it. Maybe it was always meant for them. I mean, it is called the Night of the Seven Kingdoms. Wait. Are you saying it was always theirs? What does that mean? I don't know the I reference. I was doing like a Jamie and Brienne. It's yours. It was always oh my yours. <laughs> I my heart. Anyways, Jamie of course tells them the truth. Just like I was talking about last week, I knew this would come oh, duh. up that Cersei has the Lannister army and now the Golden Company, and she was lying. She is not coming north to help. Uh, Danny looks at Tyrion like. Mm, Interesting. Jotting this one down. The the Golden Company has to go north next episode. I think that has to happen at this point. There's no other answer. They kept it out of the trailer, but like it's 80 minutes of a White Walker white fight with our heroes. 88 minutes or some crap. There's that, and also they weren't in this episode at all. And so... Yeah, they have to come back. Yeah, that's usually how a lot of this pacing works. Yes. And then we understand that Jamie says that he's here up north because he's like, I promise to fight for the living. And I'm like, okay. And then Tyrion speaks up for his brother Jamie, of course, because he loves him. And this is not in the books, I guess. I mean, he still loves Jamie in the books, right? Because he has all these weird guilt dreams about him. And there's definitely going to be something that happens between them. Sansa obviously distrusts him, and then Bran says edgy things over on the side and quotes Jamie, but no one knows he's quoting Jamie, right? He goes, the things we do for love. I love that. I think it was a great- Or did he say the things I do for love in the episode? I think he changed it, right? We. Yeah. He said the things we do. Yep. And I like that, honestly. I thought it was a mm-hmm. really nice warning to Jamie, like, hey, I know I'm not gonna out you, but I know, yeah, bitch. And- First of all, I like how everyone looks over at him like, oh, Bran's talking and doing court things now all of a sudden. But it does also, along with being a warning, have a dual meaning. Like, it's a weird flex, but it also becomes Bran's words now because they're going to talk later in the episode about how that moment changed the both of them. But he chooses in this moment not to out Jamie because I think underneath all that, he's saying that he's not going to do that for love of the rest of the world and his siblings and that he feels that they're all better off with Jamie being alive. It's nice that it happened because it does give us something for Bran, right? And he actually has a couple moments Mm -hmm. that I think are underrated in this episode. That's definitely one of them. And I love Brienne even vouches for Jamie, like we all knew she would. Uh, Sansa then lets Jamie stay because of Brienne. I respect I really respect, and we're going to get into the scene with Sansa and Danny has some interesting things, but I really respect what they're doing with Sansa's character in this season. Uh, if you isolate her character, honestly, she's very much embodying her father. Uh, it, it, it's interesting. She's she's a strong character this season, and obviously I don't really love how we got here. No. <laughs> uh, season five, pouring one out for you, but... Yeah, maybe it's not about the journey. Maybe we were wrong the whole time. (laughs) 
Maybe you were wrong the whole time. That was your phrase. That it's about the journey? <laughs> no, I said it's about the friends he it's made. not about the friends. No. Oh my I said God. it's about the friends. Whatever. Anyway, John and Danny then share a tense look, and Danny has John take the last word as the Warden of the North, which I didn't realize was his title until this moment. As many of you know, oftentimes the Lord Protector of the North, etc. I guess they don't use the term Lord Protector, but the Lord of the North and of Winterfell tends to be also the Warden of the North. So perhaps because Sansa is a lady and has less of that martial knowledge, they've split that responsibility. There are female knights now in Westeros, That's true. so I think they need to start changing. That's true. In fact, you know what? Maybe we should just call her the Queen. I don't know. <laughs> but... Maybe that's out of, that's a little out there. That was outlandish. That was a little much. I'm sorry, I'll back down. But she's the queen. I just thought it was interesting because we hadn't, I don't think I remember them calling John the Warden of the North nope. before. And there had been that whole discussion in the first book, right? About how Ned's like, you're really going to make Jamie Warden of the East and the West to Robert? Not only that, but it's kind of like almost spiteful because. Sansa's pretty much the lady of the house, right? John's been off warring and banging, and Sansa is obviously, as we see in this episode, doing all the housework. She's paying all the bills. She's making sure people have food. She's making sure shit happens. She's trying real hard, you know? Like, maybe she doesn't have the uh, excessive ability to go take a dragon south and burn someone's food stores, okay? Wow, but okay. I didn't mean to come at Danny like that. It's just like really bad writing. You know what I mean? It's inconsistent. It's stupid. It's like they're contriving drama just for the sake of it. I feel like Danny and Sansa, of all people, would fucking understand survival together. <laughs> yeah, and they start getting towards that, and we'll get we'll get to that scene, right? They start getting towards it's that. So interrupt everything gets interrupted in that though. Like the the battle is really interrupting a lot of things, which is good for the show. It gives them enough momentum to get back into in that episode four, episode five, episode six. You know, it gets us to that end goal. Yeah. John, to me, kind of almost looks surprised that people are asking for his opinion in this moment. I'm like, oh, yes, John's at the end of this table, I guess. And he's like, well, he sticks to character. He's He's consistent and says we need everyone we need for this battle. And then Tyrion lets out a sigh of relief and then... Danny stands, and then everyone else in the room uh, stands after she does, and they all take their leave. And then John kind of leaves without speaking or even looking at Danny, and she's just like, um, okay, what the hell just happened? It's really obvious Danny doesn't feel like she's a part of this, right? Like she's feeling ostracized, she's an outsider, and it's very obvious. We got that even with that scene later with Masande and Grey Worm, mm-hmm. but John is also purposefully avoiding her. Like it's obvious he's not. He, he doesn't want to deal with her. He's grappling with his parentage. He's avoiding her in that realm. And it's bad timing for him to avoid her. Like, it's kind of shitty relationship shit, right? Like, mm-hmm. your girlfriend is dealing with some shit, John. And while you don't have to agree, you can at least be there for her and say, look, like, you both have points. This is what I think. I don't agree with her, obviously, 100%, because I know other facts than what Danny knows. She doesn't know the same facts we as viewers know. But where is the whole, like, King in the North talking to his subjects? Like, yes, Warden of the North, but shouldn't he be saying some shit? Yeah, John gave up pretty fast, you know? <laughs> he didn't address his people. He's submitted. Yeah, that's why I was just like, oh yeah, John's in this room too, I guess. <laughs> the Chris watches got was really funny because John was like, what? Did I fall asleep? <laughs> yeah, did you? That is how I feel. 
And then as everyone else is leaving, Jamie and Bran exchange a look across the room. Because that's what they're going to do until, you know, they actually talk. Just look across the room. And then in the hall afterwards, Daenerys is furious with Tyrion for not knowing about Cersei's treachery. She says of him, like, either you knew and you just didn't say anything or you're an idiot. And she, the terminology she uses is, which makes you either a traitor or a fool. And then she threatens to find a new hand. Two thoughts here that I first want to highlight. First thought, great idea for a new hand, Sansa Stark. Second thought, also you should kiss. Okay, so there's three thoughts. Third thought, (laughs) on top of that, and you kissing Sansa, Daenerys, this reminds me of Sansa to Littlefinger, and it really Mm. frames that idea that maybe there's something more beneath the surface of this Tyrion arc, because when Sansa confronts Littlefinger, is it a tavern? Is it a broken down place? I don't remember. Whatever. It was a place in the show. Uh, when she confronts him and says, you know, like, if you knew, you know, like, you're the devil. If you didn't know, you're a freaking idiot. And she straight up just says coldly to him with Brienne there. And, you know, Brienne would have cut him down there. But I thought that was just a really cool kind of parallel with Sansa and Daenerys in yeah. the show. And I'm just saying, I feel like there's something more with this Tyrion plot. Said it last week. And I, there's gotta be, dude. There's gotta be something going on here. Because his plot is just... Here's his next hit. He's taken another hit. I do think part of why Daenerys is quite angry at Tyrion is she doesn't know why Jon is avoiding her and reacted that way. And I think to some extent she thinks it's either her fault in regards to Jamie, or she feels foolish for not knowing about Cersei. And because of that, she's taking it out on Tyrion. Because, I mean, like, as you said, like, everyone's not really, like, being helpful to her right now and it, it, it's kind of a double-edged sword right because a john's not being supportive at this moment like yo you just brought her here and you already know that she feels very alone compared to everyone and now that he's pushing her away she's just kind of lashing out and thus pushing away her own advisors and it's kind of rough yeah she's isolating herself even further mm-hmm. which again it makes me think they're obviously putting her walls up so that when she melts them all down no game of thrones pun intended with the wall melting down uh it's a big deal yeah you know they're they're downplaying her feelings and her acting and her plot in general just so that like when she does the big phoenix rising it's a thing in my opinion i mean i get we were just talking about this a bit ago that it makes sense what they're doing if Aegon exists from the Mm -hmm. books, right? Like, fake Aegon exists. That makes total sense. But with them making this dance of the dragons against Jon, it's it's just kind of useless, in my opinion. It's uh, thin. It's hollow. It's a very hollow victory. I agree. I think it feels... It makes Daenerys seem a lot less sympathetic than I think she would in the books, where if there is, like, a young Griffin Aegon plot, the way that she she's gonna feel at the end of the episode when she gets like that John reveal or everyone else here not really um immediately I guess uh backing her supporting her even though I think the Starks would as they did in the first dance right um it it, it makes that arc make a lot more sense because then John is a third in a pattern of people such as. Viserys who betrayed and hurt Daenerys deeply and then uh, young Griff slash other Aegon also <laughs> betraying her trust. And so if John is the third in another line of family members. 
but we cut all that. So. Yeah. So down in the forges, this is a, I think there's a lot of controversy surrounding this plot on the internet. Everyone's all freaking out about Arya's plotline. So we'll hit the first half first. I really like the scene. Arya goes down to the forges. She straight up slinks in like a cat. Mm-hmm. Like a cat of the canals. Oh, or a, you know. Yeah, or a cat in general, right? She slinks in them. Or a Lady Stoneheart. Oh my god. She checks out Gendry. I, I, they're giving her a plot to work with, and it's very strange to me. I'm very surprised. She has real lines that might mean something. Wow. Everyone had real lines. Everybody had almost real lines this episode, and it was- I know. This episode, have we talked about how good it was? It was really good, and I'm going to talk about another line that someone has in a second, but go ahead. So Arya slinks in, she banters with Gendry, she's like, so, uh, you have my weapon yet? And everyone around him is making dragonglass weapons, and he's like, I don't have it yet, you're not more important than other people. And she's like, bitch, yes I am. And she straight up just, like, looks at him, and when she stares into his eyes, all he sees is her vagina. You know, and uh, it controls him. And that's what Arya did here. She learned to skin change him with her badge or something. I don't know, but she just did. She's very good and 18 years old. If you didn't know, Arya's 18. Just want to remind you, HBO put out a little tweet actually this week that was all like, by the age of 18, you should have your own pet, murdered someone, done this, been blind, you know, trying to uh, make sure we knew that Arya was 18. So I just want everyone to know HBO tweeted that. Oh, I didn't know that's how old she was. I don't know. I do think George is going towards something oh, like this. Yeah, we talked about absolutely. Lydia Lamont's um, question of George at Balticon in 2016. And I think that he has a trajectory for this. And as I was watching all of this stuff, especially the later scene, I was like, I see now why George wanted that five-year gap. <laughs> I mean, it was already weird in the Mercy chapter. Oh, yeah. She's fucking like 11, 12, and she's just sexually seducing and stabbing a dude and uh it's a lot but if i separate those feelings at the same time oh my god gendry and Arya is canon i mean it was always like it was kinda, feather right? bed like we we talked about last episode the feather bed song uh and the yellow and black yes. and that was very much foreshadowing but gendry and Arya start to kind of argue Arya is telling him no i won't stay in the crypts and he's like yes you need to be in the crypts and he tells Arya that their enemy is death. She keeps asking, like, what's hap- what do they do? Like, what's their big thing? Why should I be afraid? And he says, you want to know what they're like? Death. That's what they're like. And it's an amazing take on the others. Uh, I feel like everyone has this deep, like, what's their motive? But that was really refreshing. Their death. I, That's all they yeah. Are. Yeah, and I, he just thinks that Arya's being edgy, right? And, like super gung-ho about fighting because he doesn't know what she's been through and i do really like the way that this line is phrased here because an issue that i think a lot of us had with the previous episode is it felt like everyone just had zingers all the time and none of the dialogue felt real didn't feel like it had real weight and emotions but the way that this is written you want to know what they're like death that's what they're like there's a lot of redundancy i think in the way that's written it's a little sloppy the way real people speak you, we don't say perfect zingers all the time. 
But then, you know, of course, Arya follows up with a perfect zinger, right? <laughs> she tells him that she knows death. She's like, he has many faces. It's from the trailer. He has many faces. I look forward to seeing this one. And then she shows off her ninja skills. And then that one dude to the side that she almost hits, but doesn't because she's super skilled is like weird flex, but okay. And goes back to doing his shit. And then she's like, uh, so my weapon. <laughs> I, I like the, the rhythm of this scene because immediately when she's like, so my weapon, and she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get right on that. Yeah. When she throws those arrowheads, it is sexual. It's like, good for you guys for writing mm-hmm. it. Whatever. Let Arya have her moment. Uh, good yeah. for you, girl. You know, and also like, get it. Yeah, get it. Get it. You know what? Get it, girl. You're all going to yeah. die tomorrow and you may as well at this point. I get it. I like it. Uh, I I understand that it can be cheesy in some ways and tropey and like maybe not the most original shit, but I like it. I like it. Uh, we're gonna get to that second half of the scene, and I like it. I mean, okay, I'm gonna throw it out there. Arya's been jonesing for this for years, for seasons. Okay, we all saw her checking out Gendry seasons ago, and like we're gonna we're gonna talk about it. I, I understand, and I yeah. feel like it's exploitative, but we're gonna talk about that, and we'll get there. So. First, though, we have to stop at the Godswood. That is a obvious, iconic place. After next episode, we won't get these trips to the Godswood as often. And Bran is just hanging out in the Godswood, and Jamie approaches. And what a beautiful goddamn piece of art. I, that's a beautiful it, scene. Mm-hmm. It is. It's a very well-done scene. It's a perfect... I'm going to take that back. I don't know about perfect. The dialogue could have been more compelling. I don't think it was perfect, I think it was great. It was really great. I mean, how could it be perfect? And I think that Bran very much embodies in this dialogue when he's talking to Jamie. He says that, uh, you know, Jamie was protecting his family. Mm. Mm. Maybe, maybe not. We'll talk about it eventually in, when we get to those chapters in the books in our reread that we do. But Jamie says that he's changed since then and pushing Bran out the window, as Bran says, changed them both. And I think that this idea of personal change, hashtag personal growth day, is a big running theme throughout the episode. And then he's like, well, I did it because you need to help in the fight. And then Jamie's like, but what about afterwards? And Brian's like, hmm, how do you know this is going to be an afterwards? I think that's some hard foreshadowing. I mean, I don't think Jamie survives. I never have. Uh, I think he has to die eventually. And I think he dies doing the right thing. Which is big for him. He hasn't always uh, been a proponent of that, you know. Citation, throwing Bran out of a window, fucking his sister. But <laughs> those are my citations. I hope you like them. Um, I mean, is fucking your sister that bad if she's not the queen? Throwing it out there. <laughs> is this your Jonza shit? Are you Jonza? No, I mean, I think it's just something. I'm just like, I don't really know. I'm an only child. Is it that bad, Eliana? Every- you shouldn't fuck your sister. I'm leaving this in the podcast, so (laughs) I don't know. I think it was a nice scene. I think it was touching. I think it was nice to see Bran in his element, and Jamie suddenly brought into Bran's element. I think that was really cool. You don't see Jamie in a godswood with snow everywhere. That's not something you see. So yeah, the show gave us something new, and it gave us something fresh, and I liked it. Yeah, and it's kind of a cleansing scene. You know, they're doing it before the old gods. That is only Bran. Only Bran's old gods now. Anyways, in the courtyard, people are getting prepared for the war. And they're creating these modified, like, pikes with dragon glass inserted into them that they're going to use to sort of catch the whites as mm. probably as they as they charge in. 
And then Jamie and Tyrion are reunited, and it seems like people still don't really like them because they keep spitting at them, but you know, whatever. Whatever. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe the Lannisters killed a bunch of Northmen. I mean, maybe. maybe. It's not like they were at war like a minute ago. <laughs> Tensions are high. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, of course, the North remembers. And they remember that the Lannisters did a fucking number on them. Betrayed them in many ways. And then Tyrion says that they also remember that the last time the Targaryens brought their dragons up here. And I'm just going to throw out there, what does he mean by that? Because the last time I think the Targaryens brought their dragons up there was... A, first of all, I think the last time they brought a dragon up there would have been Jaceri's son of Rhaenyra. And he was like, can you please come help us in the war? And then they sent the Winter Wolves down and they were helpful. But then Kreek and Stark arrived a lot later, but the dragon didn't come up. And before then, it was Alicent and Jaehaerys. And like, that was chill. I mean, I guess they lost land. They lost land to the Night's Watch, but otherwise it was chill. Like, boo fucking who? You're gonna give some fucking military housing to the people that guard this place. Fuck off, first off. Second off, yeah, it's almost like confused. when Danny like is talking about all the kings of winter, and she's like, "The last king in the north was Torrin Stark," and like Rob Stark is soon. They're like, "What? What the fuck?" Like Rob Stark, yeah, like, wolf sewn on his head. What the fuck? Yeah, I I think that there's a little uh, creative license taking with the history, which is fine. I understand that they are doing it in order to emphasize. I mean, but they just lived the history. Like, Rob was a character on this show. The, yeah, that one, yes. That's yes, not I mean. appropriate. Yeah. It's Sounds <sighs> like literally my brother. She wonders why people don't respect her right now in the North. <laughs> Learn its history, Daenerys. I was there. I saw it. Season three. I think it's a little difficult, right? Because it, they it killed the Prince of Winterfell. It seems like people haven't briefed her on what happened throughout this war in the large political situation. Yeah. And I think, A, Tyrion was in a position to do so, mm-hmm. perhaps, and he did not. Davos, less so, kind of, yes and no. He was very much, I think, attached to Stannis. But there was an opportunity to tell her this is uh, how things have gone down and no one's done that, which is, I think, what a good advisor should do. Yeah. So... <laughs> I just had a sorry. I just had a stupid idea. Oh no! I'm gonna tell you. Okay. Uh, have you ever watched Veep? No, we talked about this last week. Remember? God damn it! All right. Anyway, so Gary carries like Selena Meyer's background, and he just whispers in her ear and tells her what to say and advises her, and she just repeats what he says. And someone should be doing that. Right, Jamie tells Tyrion, "Don't be too hard on yourself. You know, Cersei's been fooling me forever. She fooled me, and." Tyrion says, she never fooled you. You knew exactly what she was, and you loved her anyway. I love it. Me too. Because he's doing the same thing. He trusted her. He said, you know, my sister's changed. She'll do anything for her Uh, baby. I mean, that's a conversation that literally happens here. He tells Jamie, you know. That's true. she's, She's changed, right? And Jamie's like, no, sure hasn't. This is what this conversation's about. Cersei hasn't changed. And Tyrion has this blind belief of his family and that like to follow his family that's his loyalty that's his pack he just wants them to love him back and one of them does that's all he's ever wanted all he's ever it really is it really is and i do love that he calls jamie out for this because 
I think it was a frustration that a lot of fans had throughout the past few seasons that Jamie didn't leave Cersei despite seeing how horrible she was. But I think it's partially because we don't get the same moment in the books. Because even in the books, Jamie always knew who Cersei was and he did, he still loved her anyway. And the only reason they stopped being together, and I think that's something that's really fun, is that the breakup that the one big breakup we get in the books is Jamie and Cersei. It's played out like a normal breakup, right? Like that he is not getting back together with her because she cheated on him in as much as one can cheat on their uh twin incest lover. Yeah, but like that's what it is, but it's got that twist and that's the only reason he's leaving her, not because of any horrible other thing she's done. Yeah, he would stand by her side. The show really this scene was really honest, and I really appreciated that. Uh, uh-huh. Generally, Tyrion and Jamie scenes are great, but they're bland. Like, Nikolai and Peter do a great job. They're great actors, yeah. They kill it. But this was, they gave them something to work with, finally. And uh-huh. this season, they really stepped the writing up, and I'm proud. And Tyrion actually repeats that joke he does of uh you know I, i'm dying in a bed at the age of 80 with a belly full of wine and a girl's mouth around my cock and jamie starts to say it right with him the most brotherly bullshit it's sweet yeah i'm not gonna act like i don't have like my own fucking scripted lines you know mm-hmm. and i think that they have multiple um humorous moments here and they nail both of them right because the chemistry's what, there the chemistry's there the the, the way that it's executed and even when they're humorous, it still has some of that heart. Like, like they're saying this at the same time together, but you see that it's not just funny. It shows you how close they are as brothers. And then the next one's pretty funny, too, just because Jamie's like, they're close enough that he doesn't feel like he has to pander to Tyrion too much. Because he's like, I'm going to go off and stare at this thing and let you fucking do your shit. Turns out he's staring at Brienne! Of course he is. Of course. She, uh, she's standing there, she's watching Pod as he fights, which I actually really love this scene because it reminds me of the Night's Watch. It looks like John from behind when you first oh look at god. it. Oh my god. I was thinking that too. I yep. thought it was John. It's supposed to be a throwback, I think. I think they framed it so that it would mm. be a throwback to remind you of Castle Black and John training people, like when he's Aww. training Ollie and he does the throw, ring your head like a bell, just like we see Ned say to Benjamin when they're fighting in that flashback. Really just a sweet little, like, back and forth. I love it. And Jamie actually compliments Brienne. Uh, he's like, hey, in the words of Chris Watches Got, who should come on our podcast, he's like, I'm shameless, I don't care. He- That's our podcast now. Please, please come hang out with us. It's not even like- LaCroix sponsor like- us. Yeah. But a lot of these were just like, you're hilarious. No, for real. And in Chris Watches Got, the review that just came out, uh- you know, it's Brienne watching Pod. It's just like Pod going, Mom, look at me. And like Brienne being like, you're not my kid. And Jamie being like, you know, I could help you be a single mother. Oh my gosh. It's really great. And so Brienne is discussing with him. She's going to be commanding the left flank. And they start to talk about, you know, Jamie used to be very negative and say very mean things and beg her. And then he's like, I want to serve under your command, which is like, I want to die under your command, which is also like taught me. Yes, I, I'm just saying, it just means Jamie wants to be under her. Literally. I would be so lucky to die beneath her, honestly. I mean, that's what Jamie thinks, too. Step on know. me, Brienne. 
Yep. 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 Anyway, somewhere upstairs, Daenerys is staring pensively into a fire. And then fucking Jorah comes in, and he's like, forgive me, Khaleesi. I'm like, wow, he still calls her Khaleesi. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Jorah's gonna die. Probably. I mean, like, it's all like... (sighs) He talks about how Daenerys forgave him all of his transgressions. And I think it's, it's a great way to show that Daenerys does have these strong connections with some people who have been with her throughout her journey, like Jorah, even though he's fuck garbage. Jorah. Yeah. But but otherwise, it, it, it's it's a nice touching moment to show that you know she has this mercy and this forgiveness, and he's saying, "Please show that to Tyrion as well," because like I traveled with him, and I was really annoyed by him, but he's a smart man, is what Jorah says, and then he also has another suggestion for Daenerys, and. The implication <laughs> of what the suggestion is leads into the next scene where it turns out Jorah suggested a marriage alliance between Daenerys and Sansa. Eliana, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I don't have any other emotions besides I love you. That's basically what he says, though, right? Uh, he literally that, says, he like, said. Lady Daenerys, have you considered that she could also be the ice to your fire in oh the prophecy? God. Uh, I ship it now, you guys. We've been over this. If you didn't listen to our first episode, I don't know why you're here, but congratulations. You skipped an episode. Go back, listen, uh, learn why Danza we must is canon. We must go back. We must start to go back. forward, you must go back. We must start back. Yes. Yes. Uh, I love that she's like, are you going to say trust Sansa? Because I'll stab you, bitch. And he's like, ha I'm not going to say that. But if I did, I would say trust the redhead that happens to be related to Jon Snow. He doesn't say that. Yeah, it's I what mean, he says in a roundabout way. I was just, you know, paraphrasing. But he says topper, topper. He says topper. So it leads into this scene where Danny walks into this library where Sansa is planning with Bronze Yon Royce because he is really important to leave the room in every scene he's in this season. So <laughs> right, glad he's here. I, I've just been very interested in the fact that she's always plotting and discussing with Bronze Yon Royce. He's not gonna be anything prominent the plot bronze is a yes man dude he's a yes man. i think he's here to remind us that once upon a time she was in the veil and that they have allies in the veil because you see this is what you guys missed in season five and what we missed in the winds of winter because we don't have it i mean i think that's what he's there for he's there to be like you guys remember this other kingdom and these soldiers we have thankfully uh, and of course, Sansa is actually talking to Bronze about um, the really important stuff. They're talking about the battle, and Sansa tells him, and this is, again, like we've been saying, very Admir Tully, my people, they were afraid. Sansa is saying, keep the gates open for the people to come to Winterfell. There are still people coming from the countryside. And I was like, in that moment, I was like, baby girl, that's my girl. Yeah. Which is also, this moment is actually very interesting if you contrast it with the moment in Daenerys' storyline, because actually she didn't want to shut the gates in Marine when the Pale Mare, which was, um, you know, dysentery, came to Marine in the books. And her advisors forced her to, but she also had a similar inclination. And that really goes to show her advisors versus Sansa as a political player and the advisors that are kind of surrounding her in the north, right? Um, obviously, like we just said, Bronze is a yes man, but at the same time... 
Sansa has the interests of these people in mind, and all the people of the North that are surrounding her, the higher people in this council, are saying, yes, we need to be concerned about that. These are our interests that you are fronting, Sansa. And Daenerys doesn't really have interests to front, right? Like, she just came from a land where people in Westeros don't fucking think about it. They don't think about what's happening in Easteros. Well, also, I think there's there's a little difference between the political dynamics between Yes. Marine, the Miranese who are afraid of getting sick. And there's, of course, a practical reason, but they're just like, who fucking gives a shit about, like, the lower classes, right? And Danny's like, I do. They're my children, but they have more of the power in Marine, and she needed to try and broker that piece. It, it was difficult. The books, everyone. Anyways, Daenerys comes in and she talks to Sansa and tells them that she felt that they almost actually had an agreement on the ruling for Jamie, trying to establish some common ground. Some courtesy, political courtesy in this moment. Discussing Tyrion, and Sansa says again, which I'm not really into this, but she's like, he's a good man. And Danny's like, yeah, but he needs to be fucking smarter because he's being an asshole right now. And she starts buttering Sansa up, and she's like, how we rule, but I feel like we're at odds with one another. And she suggests that it's because of John. And Sansa goes, men do stupid things for women. They're easily manipulated. I don't know how I feel about that line, but it reminds me, like everything else in my life ever does, of Cersei's line of love is poison. It will kill you all the same. It's a sweet poison, but it will kill you all the same. So I I called that out just because of that, like fucking lukewarm on the line itself. It reminds me of Littlefinger in a way, obviously. she's. I feel like she's meta-commenting on Littlefinger here. Mm. And I try to tell myself she is, just so it feels better. I also just realized it connects a little bit then with the things I do for love, which is obviously hearkened earlier in the episode. So that's another running theme or motif throughout the, all of this. And then Daenerys says that actually she used to have the goal of fighting the Iron Throne, but because of Jon, now she's fighting. And she uses the term Jon's War, which I think is interesting. Yeah, it's not her war. It's not her people. She's a stranger here. She feels, you know, ostracized. And even more interesting is when she says, you know, who manipulated whom? And I'm like, mm, was the dick that good? <laughs> That's the question that I have. I guess. Man. It's the butt more than the mm, dick. True. But I mean, Jamie's butt is like superior, so... <laughs> anyway, what what do you like Cersei? What does everyone else in this world not understand about existential like threat to all human life? I don't know. A lot, apparently. <laughs> Enough to fuel a whole season. <laughs> yeah. I really like the acting and body language from Sophie Turner here, where Sansa leans forward then, and she puts her hand on the table, and it feels like she's laying her cards on the table when she says to her, to Daenerys, I should have thanked you. When you came to Winterfell, that was a mistake on my part. I'm paraphrasing, but... No, that's pretty much it. And honestly, I wouldn't have noticed, but here I am noticing. Is she playing the game? Is she being courteous? What do you think here? I think she is being courteous, but I think she also means it, right? Because I think on her face, you can okay. see she means it. And then she has, I think, that genuine moment with Daenerys, where da Daenerys returns um that gesture and places her hand on Sansa and you think that they're about to to um forge an alliance. Make out. Yep, also that, also that. Uh per Jorah's suggestion. And um then shit gets icy. 
Yeah, uh, I don't know if I would even say icy so much as Sansa's just using her opportunity, and she straight up asks, and it implies, so what about the North? No, she straight up asks that. (laughs) Yeah, she straight up is like, so we're stuck under your reign forever now? What the Northerners are asking her to ask, you know? Like, this is like when you are going through a merger at your corporate job and no one's giving you any information because you're not quite high up enough, but you're high up enough that you should know things and you want the truth from your boss, you know, from the person that's going to be your new boss. Like, what's what's going to happen to me and my people and my jobs? I've been through it before. I know it's a true parallel. Yeah, I mean, regardless of whether it's Daenerys or not, anyone who would have come in, I think Sansa would have had to ask that question, right? Because as we discussed in our discussion for Season 8, Episode 1, Northern autonomy is really important in terms of, like, who gets to live and who doesn't. Yeah. But all of this gets interrupted because Theon Greyjoy arrives. Yara isn't here, but Theon is. He wants to fight for Winterfell, and there's this beautiful, touching moment. He shows up, and Sansa and him make this eye contact. Sophie and Elfie have this beautiful, brilliant eye contact, and the look on Sansa's face and on Theon's face is just, Theon came back, and he's alive, and he's home. You know? Yeah. Winterfell is his home, Theon Stark Greyjoy. This is your home, too. We welcome all halfies in this household. Yes. And I think it's something that would have been punctuated better had they, again, included more development of all of this in Daenerys' storyline in previous seasons. But they didn't because as Sansa's going to Theon, they close up on her face and she kind of looks surprised like, oh, okay, because she doesn't have that same connection that Sansa and Theon do because she's new to Westeros and especially to Winterfell. And you can feel that. You can feel that because she asks, you know, like, where's your sister? The lady of the house who is sworn to me is basically kind of what she's implying. And Theon's like, she went home to retake the islands. And he, she looks at him. She's like, well, why aren't you with him? And, or with her? Wow, I can't talk. She looks at him and is like, why aren't you with her? And he says, well, and he looks at Sansa and he goes, Lady Sansa, I came to fight for Winterfell. And it is just this emotional moment. Sansa strides over to Theon and she hugs him. She has tears kind of in her eyes and her braid down the back of her hair with her little braid bun looks really cute. And I mean, he asks Sansa to fight for the North after he gives Danny the courtesies a queen deserves. And this whole scene, I think the reason that Daenerys is standing there looking so isolated is because this comes right after Sansa asks, what about Northern independence? Yara isn't here to support, but Theon is here to support Sansa, his lady, his queen. And this is why Sansa is hinting at asking for that Northern independence, right? It's not because she doesn't respect you, Danny. Like, that's not at all what the people of the North are about. It's because it's what the North stands for, right? You get that quote from Wyla Manderly in A Dance with Dragons. A thousand years before the conquest, a promise was made and oaths were sworn in the wolf's den before the old gods and the new. When we were sore, beset, and friendless, hounded from our homes and in peril of our lives, the wolves took us in and nourished us and protected us against our enemies. The city is built upon the land they gave us. In return, we swore that we would always be their men. Stark men. 
And that whole The North Remembers plot that kind of got half retconned from this show, it still resonates. Like, you still remember Grey Wind sewn onto Rob Stark's body. You remember Catelyn's throat being cut. You know, like, you're never going to forget that. Whether it's the books or the show, there's no difference between it. This is why the Northerners are that standoffish. While the show kind of wrote it with this racist allegory in mind, that's not what it's about. It's not at all what it's about. I agree. And I think, along with all of that, I think it's a little lost in the show, but Daenerys had that, right? The way that Sansa is inspiring, I think, is inspiring loyalty in characters like Theon. Though a lot of it is, of course, because this is Theon's home, and the Starks are his family. He grew up with them. Daenerys had that as well, right? She inspired loyalty in people. That's why people wanted to fight for her. That's why um, she was able to be so successful in a lot of Essos. And it's a whole different ballgame in Westeros. And she's trying to adjust and learn what it means to be a part of this, this kingdom. And in the show, we don't get this arc of Daenerys having to fight death for her people, right? The people that lifted their hands up and said, Misa, Misa, they're trapped outside of her kingdom, currently dying of the Pale Mare. You know, I mean, Daenerys has not, Sansa's difference is Sansa hasn't had to have that suffering where all these people die. And next episode is going to be that. Sansa's going to have to suffer kind of that hardening that Daenerys has suffered, right? That she's lost people. She hasn't been able to save everyone. And Sansa thinks right now she can. And yes, she's just trying to prepare the best against the cold. And she has to. Someone has to. But at the same time, there's going to be so much death next episode. Nobody could be like trying. You know, like, nope. Next episode's going to be wild. It's going to be rough. Yeah. And then speaking of all of the people dying... The common folk in the courtyard. <laughs> that are all gonna fucking die. Some. Hashtag not all common folk. Hey, you know who's definitely gonna die? That cute little girl with a scarred face, and that's gonna be sad. Probably. Uh, yes. so, we, so we get a scene where Davos is doling out soup to people, and then Gilly's directing survivors and shit to the crypts, Ow. and then... Yes, she is. Can we take a moment for Gilly, though? Yeah, I love Cassie. I love Cassie, and Gilly is still there, and she is still the purest of them all. Someone said on Twitter that we need to have a fucking reunion between Cassie and Chris from Skins, and then they were like, is is Chris from Skins going to die in Gilly's, sorry, in Cassie's arms once more? Oh, that's sad. I don't think so, though. I really don't, because it's going to be it's not skins. in Arya's arms. Because <laughs> it's not fucking skins, even though um, yeah. I keep thinking of it as Not that. Game yeah. of Thrones. Anyways. Yes, and as you said, Scarred Little Girl, and then Davos is like, oh, where do you want to go? And she's like, first of all, she's the most adorable little accent. Yes. And she's like, all, I'm going to go fight, and I'm going to, you know, protect the crips and i'm gonna be the protector of everyone it's like, so okay, she's gonna baby. die okay yeah she's gonna die it's shireen it is it face. is shireen like everyone sees it we're like oh that's who davos is seeing oh my god he couldn't see the chris watches got epi- uh review 
<laughs> there's this whole bit about Davos being like, Sansa says I'm not allowed to adopt people anymore. <laughs> and then like later on, he's like, I'll adopt you under a pseudonym. Oh my god. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, good. Yeah, but very Shireen vibes. You know she's ending up going out protecting someone. And Gilly, though, is so sweet. She's like, I feel safer with you down there to protect me and little Sam. She's so wise. Oh, so pure. Oh, Gilly. She's such a... She's so... She's so wonderful. She's been through so much. Christ. <sighs> yeah. But we get a reunion of what's left of the Fellowship with some new additions. Ed, Tormund, Sam, and Beric all have a big reuniting scene. It's it's nice. And John. Yeah, I figured you know who's there. John's there. You know him. You know. You know him. And then John launches into a voiceover montage. Yes, it, it's from the trailer, right? He's talking about the enemy, which is death. It's a pre-battle sequence with the war meeting at the end. Uh, there's siege trebuchets and dragon glass everywhere being built. Yeah, this is uh, the montage in Mulan. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> I'll make a fan Okay, out of Shin. <laughs> anyway, and then of course we get, as you said, the exchange in the war room and... They're like, what does the Night King want? And Bran's like, an endless night. He wants to erase this world, and I am its memory. And then Sam gives like this very inspirational speech of, that's what death is, isn't it? Forgetting being forgotten. If we forget where we've been, we're not men anymore. Just animals. Your memories don't come from books. Your story... And here he's referring specifically to Bran of, your stories mm. aren't just stories. If I wanted to erase the world of men, I'd start with you. Oh, I love that. I think it's good. I also am gonna push back at Sam a little. I, I understand that he's saying that Bran has a more objective view, I guess, because he can literally see mm -hmm. into the past, but it's not just that. The first thing that I thought of when we were talking when he was talking about forgetting is this line from a Game of Thrones in Sansa's chapter during the tourney. Mm. The young knight in the blue cloak was nothing to her, some stranger from the Vale of Arryn whose name she had forgotten as soon as she heard it. And now the world would forget his name too, Sansa realized. There would be no song sung for him. That was sad. Yep. Life is not a song, sweetling. It's Someday you may learn that to your despair. It's not. And I don't know, it's just... It doesn't have to be Bran. Like, a lot of the way that a, the stories and the legends have been passed down have been through people like Old Nan. And I, it's something that you're going to see throughout the rest of this episode as people talk to each other about their past and how they've changed... Lots of character development. It's a it's few great. seasons late, but I'll take it. Well, I think it. they're reflecting on their character development and the growth that they've had. And I think that's a lot of what this chapter, not chapter, fuck, this episode this is. This show. Yeah. Whatever it is. Sorry. I I'm mean, used to saying chapter because we do books. Books. Rereads? I don't Who are we? know how to read, so... Uh, it is good, though. I, I like that idea because everything in this episode could literally be minimized to a song, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Jenny's song? Jamie the Kingslayer. Jenny's song, even, yes. Jamie the Kingslayer comes yes. with the himself with the boy that he pushed out of a tower. Uh, and, of course, this next part is even more exciting because 
Jamie, of course, is not the only person who has done Bran wrong in the past, and Bran basically provides himself as a distraction for the Night's King. He wants to go be in the Godswood during the battle. He's been marked. Yeah, it's it's very sad. If he dies, I'll die. Uh, and I read a spoiler thing oh my God, like years ago. Okay. No, 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 no. It's a fake leak. This person was proved to be wrong because of like the stuff they posted about the other episodes already that have become wrong. Like they're not true. But it stuck with me forever and this person wrote that like Mira Reed was going to protect Bran in the Godswood and that like the Night King and all of his people would come and ravens are going crazy and that like one of them would just stab the shit out of Mira like violently and she'd die for Bran and like then they'd stab Bran and I was like if that happens I would kill myself. I can't Bran? My son? I'm sorry, who's Mira Reed? Are there Reeds on this show? So, <laughs> Bran literally asks if he can go be the distraction in the Godswood, and Theon volunteers that he wants to protect Bran and he will stand vigil with him. That's that's a song. That Sansa is a song. Sung, Sansa thought about how the world would forget the young knight from the Vale, and they do, because I don't fucking remember. What's his name? Sir Hugh of the Vale? Yeah, fucks are you. What? Yeah, he was kind of pompous, but... And he's no Theon Greyjoy who's going to stand vigil for Brandon Stark in the Godswood in defeating the others. Also... And Theon's probably gonna die, isn't he? He's probably gonna die, but it's also just like a more noble version of Remember when Bran was out before on the pony when Rob kind of forgot his brother, and then Theon defended Mm -hmm. him from the wildlings with his bow and arrow bran wanted to be a true knight and he never could because he was crippled from his fall and theon always wanted to be a stark and be you know a part of them and be this true stark son that he could never be and theon is going to be the true knight that stands watch over bran that's that's a fucking song it is and <sighs> The difficulty with songs, right, is how will you be remembered? It's not just will you be remembered, but how and what is the truth behind everything? And I think that's something that will be explored further in the books, the truth behind some of the songs. And we get it a little bit at the end, right, when Daenerys and Jon are speaking of Lyanna and Rhaegar and what people said about them. So It even works with Tyrion, who wants to go be on the battlements with Davos during the battle, and Danny commands him to be in the crypts to go be sharp-witted for them, and Tyrion is a, you know, he's not happy about that. He wants to be where their people are, want to see him, want to see him fighting, and he's not allowed to be. Uh, and it's punishment. It sounds like punishment. The way Danny is acting, it's it's a punishment for Tyrion in his eyes. You know, you can see it in his face. He feels like it's a punishment. He speaks up against her, and I don't know, it's interesting. Yeah, I agree. It he speaks like it she's she's not sure how to feel about it, I think Tyrion right now. I will say I am relieved. It seems as though at the end of last season when Daenerys and Jon go into the boat and I don't know, have sex, it seemed as though the showrunners were saying that Tyrion was in love with Daenerys, but I think that they're moving away from that storyline and have written that out. Thank God. Yeah, I feel like he has different motives. Thank yeah, God. I'm happy about it. Uh, I think that feels more right to me that they aren't doing that. Yeah, I guess he doesn't want a story to what be the imp. Anyway, 
Turns out no one knows if Dragonfire actually works against the Night King, <laughs> which, lol. <laughs> because, I, I mean, and Bran has a good answer. He's like, well, no one's really ever tried before. Because, I mean, the Valyrians came and conquered Westeros. The Targaryens came right. thousands of years after the others last invaded. <laughs> so who would think to try? Yeah, and eventually in this council... Tormund actually speaks up. He sums it up best after Arya asks, you know, like, can Dragonfire beat this guy? And Bran's like, no one knows. LOL. <laughs> Lol. Lol. <laughs> Peace out. Bye. <laughs> uh, Tormund, though, goes, yep, we're all gonna die. I mean... Big mood. Along with Jenny's song, another song for this moment, um, The Flaming Lips. Do you, mm, realize? Do you realize? Yes. Oh, I'm in your you brain. You are in my brain. Wow. Are you brave? You realize that everyone mm. you know someday will die, and they're gonna yep, do true. it in episode three. That's pretty much of it. Of season eight, Danny looks at John, who is also straight ghosting her right now. <laughs> ghosting because ghost gets to appear. Soon. I did this on purpose. There is a method oh my to my madness. It's very, very clear. It's just madness. But as everyone empties out. Tyrion asks Bran about his story and they have a heart to heart, which I actually really appreciate. It's not called out, but if you'll all remember, Tyrion came back and created a saddle for Bran at John's request so to, to do something nice for Bran. But I I like this moment. All right. It's a small detail and I wanted it. And Brian Cogman clearly loves the characters because he was crying in the behind the scenes about writing this episode. <laughs> and we were also all crying. Dude, yes, we were crying. I. This was really good character work, and there's been a lot of hatred of Brian Cogman before this because people, you know, he wrote the episode where Sansa and Ramsay uh, fornicated against Sansa's will. It's what we call rape in real life. Um, and that was awful. Uh, but, like, he kind of was told what to do. So, I don't know. It's really controversial. And I think he's treated the f characters fairly overall. I think um, that plot sucked. So that is what it is. While we're busting out fire takes, I think Cogman tried. It seems like he really loves the yeah. books. He was the one who advocated strongly for Dorne being included in the show. It didn't go the way that he wanted it to, but he he wanted yeah. it there because it was a storyline that was prominent in the books. And he's obviously captured the essence of all of these characters in this episode and he should be proud to have written this episode. I'm proud that he wrote it. It's an amazing episode. Yeah. And you know I would never say that. Like, are you worried about what I've been saying? Because, no. like, I'm worried because I feel very confident and happy about this episode. And I trust your judgment. It was a, Eliana, it was a good episode. It was a good episode. I, I don't think I've said that in a long time. No, I, I said that during the Spoils of War. <laughs> I said that during, like, Winds of Winter. Maybe I think I said it during spoilers. I said during spoilers of winter was was the winds of winter season. I I don't always know titles. Six ten. Mm, no, I was thinking. Uh, I forgot the the title. I thought S seven E one was good. Yeah, Dragonstone was Dragonstone good. was good. I love the ending for Dragonstone with Daenerys landing. Perfect, perfect execution. It's beautiful, quiet. No dialogue was needed. Perfect execution. Her taking the Baratheon banner down. It was just. It was beautiful. It was. Home. Yeah, her touching the beach. Anyway. Sorry, yeah. everyone, so, back here, Missande and Grey Worm. Yeah, so Missande and Grey Worm talk about their retirement plans, which means one of them's going to die. Mm. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's... It's like they couldn't have telegraphed it harder, and now I'm just like, fuck! So is it Masande or Grey Worm? And I think it's Masande. I don't know. I don't in the show. I don't want it to be Masande, but I think it's Masande because I think Grey Worm would be too obvious. I think you're right. It's too obvious, but like I don't know in the show because uh, in the books, Daenerys asks Masande constantly, "Do not betray me." I don't. I th- don't know if there's enough time for her to do that and also in not to make like another youth fiction reference but is it like it's gross to make it is it is it Katniss and Prue oh that would really mess me up I don't I don't think so but also because that's how small she is in the books dude she's Prue she's Danny's Prue but also she she does Prue doesn't betray Katniss no, no, no. I mean, there's also that whole dark element of the whole, like, A Song of Ice and Fire thing. Yeah. Um, but I'm just saying, as far as youth fiction comparisons go, I could see that whole, like, esque thing. I don't know. It's 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 not great in terms of the dynamics, in terms of, like, class. No. And, like, if Killing a little baby brown girl yeah, is not no, cool. No, it's not great in terms of, yeah. like, the optics of, like, race okay. and the, how they're doing that. But I, I it's also... I don't know if they're going to set it up as Missandei betraying Danny if they are doing it Mm-mm. in the books because also Missandei has not interacted with Daenerys this season at all. I think it's silly. It's a dramatic thing. It's just like so the whole entire Missandei Grey Worm relationship was obviously created out of dust. We already know that Missandei's a tiny little girl in the books, so it probably won't even happen in the books. Well, and if it does, maybe she'll die. It, and that's awful. In the books, but. it could be born out of like we see it established that. Missandei didn't like this um, something that was happening with the Unsullied, and that's because she has siblings who are in the Unsullied, and we sh- or we right. see that she has some emotional connection to them still. So, anyway, yeah. <sighs> Sam and John—they're on the battlements. Yeah, they're on the battlements of Winterfell. Yes, and um, guess who else is here? Who? Well. Maybe you'll remember him. We haven't seen him in a while. Tell me. Tell me of him. Eliana. So I think that, you know, in later in this episode, we're going to have a Jenny song. And they talk about how Jenny dancing with her ghosts. Could it be Johnny? Jon Snow dancing with his ghost. His wolf ghost who is here in the background. And no no one, no one fucking acknowledges him. But okay. Are you going to present me with the next take? Because I'm not going to comment. I'm not going to acknowledge him either. Meta. Oh, wow. Wow, that is a, a take that you two shall not acknowledge Ghost <laughs> being there in the background. So Ghost is just chilling, being a pupper, and Sam is like, so have you told Danny yet? And John's like, nah, it's uh, pretty weird. Pretty weird. <sighs> and talk about regret- regretting your lays. Anyways, um, then Dolores Ed comes up to join them, and I love that as he's staring out he says and now our watch begins and i love that talk at the end Uh, they're like when he's like you know whoever's last of us burn the rest yes and i think that i think he's one of them this coming it has to be it has to be ed it's time it's time and it's sad because it's time the wall's down it's ed he's he's had a good run i'm proud of him for making it this far but and then I like how everyone's like, Sam, so you're not gonna be out there, right? And Sam's like, Y'all, I was the first one to kill a White Walker. Does anyone remember this? 
And yes. Yeah. Speaking of remembering, and then like he says, and because we are doing these chapters right now in our reread of John, all right, where he is becoming beautiful, good friends with Pip and Gren, right? And then Sam fucking says, think back to where we started, us, Gren, Pip. Now it's just us three. I'm just fucked up. All right. <laughs> Fuck me up. Fuck me up. I'm it's- just like. <sighs> Why would you rip my heart out like that when I think of Pip and Gren and all of them together? And they were such beautiful, happy boys. And they were... The fellowship. They were. Oh my god, I'm gonna cry and again. I know, I I'm keep gonna cry. I'm just like, <laughs> That's not even Gren. the biggest thing. Like, uh, other groups come together and it's this night, this night before the Great War begins. Right? This is the last night and all these things are happening and uh, we get so much character development and growth and building in just one episode. I can't imagine. Imagine if they added 10 extra minutes last season, each episode, and they did character building. It was just beautiful to see these people come back together, probably for the last time. And there are so many reunions in this episode that are likely the ba- the last time. I mean. Yeah. We have Jenny's song, but also closing time. Oh my Sad god. So... <laughs> We have a fire. We shoot back over to the fire. Yes, Jamie and Tyrion are reminiscing about their father, who was so loving, so supportive. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dad of the year. recall who they used to be under Granddaddy Tywin. Oh, God. And they're interrupted because Brienne and Pod come in. And Brienne tells Pod, you can have half a cup, and Tyrion's out here being... I, someone described him as, like, that uncle who gives you a big pour. I forgot who on Twitter. And, yeah. Love it. He's just giving him an overflowing cup and they just exchange a look and he's like, yep, that's my squire. I taught him everything I know. <laughs> and the- Tormund is running his mouth. Right? Like, he's just talking shit. He's talking to whoever will listen and he's talking about how he drank giant's milk as a kid. Yeah, and I mean, like, you know, we're talking about weird flexes. That, too, is a weird flex. Yep. I guess that's hitting on people in uh, torment culture. Yeah. And Brienne's face is like, Bye-bye. a word. <laughs> a worm. <Yeah. laughs> and then Davos is just like, okay, I now need a drink. We go upstairs to the Bellmans, and Arya has a little chat with the Hound. She's changed. He's changed. They chat about it. Yes. And I mean... That's a lot, again, of this episode, talking about how people have grown. It's a it's a reflective. It's not just a ghost of the people that they lost, but their old selves, the innocence that they've lost, which I think is a big part of A Song of Ice and Fire as I, as the uh, people go through different identities. And then Beric shows up. Talk about identities going No, right? Yeah. He, uh, he's obviously overstayed his welcome. I know he's going to go next week, I think. I think that's the thing. He's going to give up his life for um, Lady Stoneheart. So, <sighs> Arya rolls her eyes and she's like, okay, well, enjoy your wine. Which, by the way, she has a wine skin. Did you notice? Yes. Well, no, I thought she took it from the hound. Oh, well, she either way, him and then Arya drank wine. Yeah. And I need her to stop. She's 10. So, uh, she leaves. She's like, I'm not going to die with you two old geezers. You know, Fair. she's like, I'm going to go. This is my last night alive, assholes. Bye. I mean, yeah, fair. I'd also be like, mm, hell no. Nope. Yeah, and as exploitative as the next scene kind of is in general for young actresses, in my opinion, I don't really love that. Um, 
she is, of course, the first person to do a real, real sex scene, like, full-on, just, you know, like, having an encounter one-on-one with a male, not talking about a handful of people in one sex scene, just Arya is the first person of the season to really get down and dirty, and, uh, you just didn't see Lena doing that with Euron. Uh, yeah. You obviously know that these contracts probably have a little bit of exploitation in them because that's how Hollywood works. She did, I hear she got a little bit of say in the scene, but it's uh, it's interesting. I'm interested to hear the mechanics around it. It sounds like the writers and uh, the showrunners told Maisie you can show as much or as little as you want, and she chose to go this route a little. Some. Yeah, and to do some. I think... If it was her choice, I I think it makes a little sense that it she decided to do mm-hmm. it through Game of Thrones as opposed to yeah. I mean, she's twenty two, all right? Like No, yeah, and it's the place she grew up. Yeah, she grew up there and like it makes it easier for her in future roles. Yeah, what's she gonna do? Do it in porn? Like by God, let well, her she's do not it gonna in do it in porn, but like what? The next that's what I'm saying, though. It's like, where do you want her to do this? Yeah. Yes, let her have If she does it in, it's not a big in deal. another franchise or, or um, storyline, people might jump on that and be like, oh, wow, how could you do that to Maisie Williams? Like, she was a little girl. And so I think it makes sense, I guess, for her to do it with people that she trusted in this show. So, uh, um, I, I think that it's... We have a, we've at least got a real life five year gap, so it's not as weird as in yeah. the books. All right, at least she's actually okay, like whoa, eighteen whoa, whoa, in the whoa, whoa. show and twenty two in real life. Some of the characters got the gap. That's true. Little Sam did not. Sansa, little Sam, they didn't get their real effects. So speaking of sex, Arya is shooting some arrows, reminding us of that first episode, that parallel, and Gendry gives her her double sided staff. Her weapon with obsidian on it. I just want everyone to know that uh, my boyfriend was like, oh shit, so she's going to be Darth Maul now. Um, I want you to know my boyfriend said the same fucking I'm thing. I'm glad. I'm glad that we're all synced in this in this world. Boyfriends talk about Darth Maul. Yeah. That's for sure. I thought I was like, alright, so <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was just going to do some weird detachy like, okay. shit, like in Bloodborne or some shit, but yeah. guess not. I don't know. Guess not. Thought you were an assassin, Arya. Yeah. Arya is super surprised. She finds out Gendry is actually Robert's bastard in the same exact conversation that she decides to ask him how many women he's banged out. Um, Yeah, and I know that people have read it in many different ways, such as uh, on one hand, yeah, it could be jealousy. On the other hand, someone uh, pointed out that it's Arya making sure that Gendry's experienced for her first time. But for me, and I know this is kind of fucked up, but what it reminds me of, this in- inquiry of Arya parroting back um, the tickler's words to him and going, how many, how many, how many? Yep. I agree. That's the first thing I thought. The same so thing. So you and I, I are like, How many, how many? Yes, we're so synced. That's all I can think. And I don't think it's actually a call out, no. but in my head, I'm like, yeah, it is. I, Just yeah. for my sanity. I think we can let me have it. Yeah, I, I don't think it's an explicit call out, but it's like, I'm not going to act like it doesn't make me think of how many, how many, how many. And I mean, this is the way that Arya's been raised and trained in many ways. So, yeah, it makes sense. And of course, the scene goes on. She makes a pass, and Gendry is majorly receptive, aka by his dick and he sees her scars she has scars obviously mm-hmm. still on her sides from when she was in bravos 
Yes. I, I like that they stay consistent in things like that. Her scars. Yeah. Her skill with a staff. I think that's very important to show, like, this is what Arya's good at handling. She did it for so long. And her fucking love for Gendry. It happened. Yeah. I mean. It's canon. You know, he had a son. He had a daughter. Join their houses. There's all of that. Also, it, it kind of reminds me a little then of John and his scars, right? When he... Right, and, uh, you know, we were talking to Manu from uh, a scene of Ice and Fire, who's going to be on our Patreon episode for Winter is Coming, the first episode in the series, and he was telling us, you know, things like that. Look out for it. Yeah, um, I think one of you said that the scars on John... Remind you of the scars on Ned from Robert's Rebellion. Yep. So that was Manu. He had it, man. That was exactly what I was thinking. I couldn't remember quite. You got yes. it. That is exactly what he said, and it was a very nice touch. I never noticed. Yeah, exactly. It's it. There's great continuity between. I mean, it's that's what this episode's about, right? It's not just again the people that they lost. It's not just the emotional scars. There's also physical scars that come with that, and just as the interiority comes out onto the body. Yeah. But the heart of the episode. This is, I don't even know how to talk about this. This is getting me emotional again. Do you want to sing about it? This is the part. Talking about it? No, not yet. So, this scene starts with Tyrion discussing that everyone has fought the Starks and now they're going to defend them, which, okay. Um, what? I just want to say, Brienne fought the Starks? Uh, she didn't quite fight them, but she was on an opposite faction to an extent when she was with Renly. Okay, so let's go back to the beginning. Brienne fought the Starks? I mean, I think he's talking about it loosely, because technically he's talking um, about Tormund okay, fighting Okay, so John. Davos fought the Starks? Stannis did not want to bow to Rob. Same, same, same moment. Tormund fought the Starks. Yeah, I think he's... To their face. He's thinking about it very loosely, and Tyrion Podrick? is projecting... Patrick? The Blackwater? It's not the Starks, I guess. But, I digress. Everyone was like, oh yeah, you're right, I'm gonna chew these appetizers. And they were like, hey, how Stark, we believe in you, thanks. Uh, Tyrion is all like, they'll live, and everyone's like, mm, I don't think we're all living, Tyrion. Like, I literally think some of us are gonna die. Like, that's the thing that's happening here tonight. Closing time, drinking in their last night alive after some playful banter between all the parties. Oh and Chloe's like, oh god, <laughs> why did I agree oh to do this podcast? I agree. Anyway, first of all, I love this little group exchange. Everything about people coalescing around this fire to be like, we're going to drink together. It just feels very real to me. Like, you know, when everyone's left yes. the party and they're like, oh... Oh, you're still here. And people just, like, mm. gather around, and they're just going to have a drink together. But it's the end of the world. Anyway. Yes, it is the end of the world, and everybody has nothing left to lose, right? We saw Arya, who now has nothing left to lose, um, and no one who has nothing left to lose, I should say. And they're drinking in their last night alive. And there's some playful banter between all of the parties. Jamie demonstrates then, finally, that any knight could create a knight after Tortman kind of provokes it. Uh, Jamie Lannister knights Brienne 
of House Tarth, mm-hmm. the Evenstar, the Oath Keeper, the Guardian of Winter, and I. It's real. Westeros, man, it's real. It's fucking real. Everyone cried during the scene. Uh, what I love about the scene is, like, Brienne says she doesn't really care about it, but, like, obviously she fucking cares about it. And then she's, like, exchanging looks with Pod and she says she doesn't care, and Pod's like, really? Yeah, you do. Like, he's like, I know you do. I've been with you this whole time. And then, even though he's her student, when, when she's offered the chance to become a knight, she looks at him and he kind of gives the, the smallest, the smallest nod mm. and gives her that nudge of courage to like, do good it. Boy. It's so beautiful. Yeah, and I want to read... A couple of these quotes that just really put me in this mode for Brienne of Tarth, right? There's a quote from Sansa where she says, There are gods and there are true knights too. All the stories can't be lies. And then, of course, Barristan. It is chivalry which makes a true knight, not a sword. Without honor, a knight is no more than a common killer. It is better to die with honor than live without it. And then, of course, Baylor Breakspear about Duncan the Tall. This man protected the weak as every true knight must. And finally, one for the annals, one for the history books, one for Samwell Targaryen, whatever. What? Harley. <laughs> what? I don't know. It's a new theory. No, I'm just kidding. Are you telling me Sam and John get married? One for Samwell Tarley to write down in the Song of Ice and Fire that will be recorded in history in the Citadel. In the name of the warrior, I charge you to be brave. In the name of the father, I charge you to be just. In the name of the mother, I charge you to defend the innocent. Arise, Brienne of Tarth, a knight of the Seven Kingdoms. As soon as he said that, I was just like, she is a knight of the seven. I was crying. <laughs> Westeros could change. Yeah, you know, it, it, this is the core of the story. This is the northerns, the northerners fighting for independence. Sansa and Theon hugging and Theon pledging to give his life up to House Stark. You know, you get that line from Wyla I mentioned earlier. Wyla Manderly. Uh, Westeros can change. People can be good again. People aren't all Cersei's and Little Fingers and Tywins. That's not what all of Westeros is. You know, the world is big, but little people can turn it around. Uh, it's Brienne, a knight of the Seven Kingdoms. Exactly. Keeping this. A true knight. A true knight who remembered, she remembered her, her vows. vows. Even though she hadn't taken them, same as her, same as Dunk. Same as Dunk. She upheld them. And then. Jamie knights her with the counterpart to her sword. Ice is back, baby. It's just just an incredible scene. (sighs) Two swords. One love, one family. Trust your hearts. Fades aside. Oh my god. It I mean, like, what is there to say about the scene? Like and then the way she smiles afterwards and everyone just claps and applauds. They're like, Sir Brienne of Tarth, and everyone's just so genuinely happy for her, and she's like She's a knight, and they just call her Serbrienne throughout the rest of the scene. It's so important to me because it's like people finally got mm-hmm. to see it. You know, it's not something hidden like Dunk with his knighthood, whether it happened or not, as we've discussed. Everyone mm-hmm. saw it. Everyone was there. They clapped. It was a thing. It was uh, It was nice. That was, I believe in this show. I believe in it. I never thought I'd believe yeah. in it, but here I am. 
And it's interesting. I'm a know, believer. She's, she's becoming a knight in the north where they don't keep knighthood, but at the same time, she can do whatever she wants now. As you said, Westeros can change. Just like all the characters in this show changed, like out in the courtyard, the Mormonts. Allegedly, Jorah Mormont has changed. They are bickering. Jorah and his uh, cousin. <laughs> and then Sam comes out, and he too has changed, thanks to Jair Mormont, the father of Jorah, and thus he gifts Jorah Heartsbane. You know, I'll take it. It was a nice scene. I'm not going to be upset about it. I like the Liana bits and her being like, no, I'm not going to go to the crypts. Like, her standing there in armor being like, how dare you shame me? Like, I am the lady of our house. I will die with my people. Why would you ever think I, a child, would go to the crypts? Like, come on now. Uh, it was touching. It was just touching. And I liked that Sam gave him the sword. I don't know if I agree slash really like it, but it was whatever. I liked it. It's whatever. It was a thing. Um, yeah, I think there's already enough Lianas down in the crypts, don't you think? We come back to that scene with Jamie and Brienne and Torment and Pod and Tyrion and Davos, and they are out of wine. And Tyrion says, well, how about a song? Who can sing? And of course, as we know in the story, Brienne is not a singer. It's not her thing. And they go all around the circle. Davos can't sing. And finally, they land on Podrick. And we learn why Podrick did not pay the sex workers for their service in the story because of his glorious, melty, croony voice. It's like brown sugar melted down. It's beautiful. And he sings a song. And my friends of the fandom, this was this was too much. If you have not watched this episode, if you're listening to our episode and somehow haven't seen it, I really want you to just even watch this scene because it was touching because it's set to a montage and it's heart-wrenching. But first, we got to talk about Jenny and Dunk, the Prince of yes. Dragonflies. And it's poignant because Jenny, for whom the song is about, her husband is the namesake of Brienne's ancestor, Dunk. Prince Duncan the Small was named after Duncan yes. the Tall. The Tall. Oh, the Tall. Yes, and Prince Duncan had a marriage all arranged, a Baratheon marriage nonetheless, with his father's friend. Lionel. Had a marriage arranged. Yep, Lionel. And Duncan fell in love. Much like Rob Stark. Much like Rhaegar Targaryen. Because Rob doesn't really technically fall in love with Jane in the books. No, he just bangs her. But I mean, you know. You know what I mean. We don't- What are the books? Basically, they both have crowns and they didn't uphold their duty to that crown. And Duncan sets aside his betrothed and goes off and elopes and marries Jenny of Old Stones. And that is his bride. And he abdicates his throne and his crown so that he can be with this common woman who is called Lady Jenny politely at court. Uh, and Lady Jenny, of course, is friends with this woods witch who is the ghost of High Heart. That the we ghost in the of books, High who is, Heart. Yes, she has visions. Uh, and she always will trade a vision for a kiss and a song from Tom of Seven Streams. And she has this really great imagery similar to the kindly man at the House of Black and White with the worm in his eye and Arya plucking it and kissing him to gain entrance to the House of Black and White. And that's kind of kind of how I feel with this. Hold on. So Something you said just made me think of something during the Blackwater 
in the books where Sansa thinks that the Hound took a kiss in a song and he didn't. Yes. That's all. Yes, the unkiss. I don't know. Yes, of the price. That's all. No, I like that. It was similar, similar words, and that's kind of why at the beginning of the episode I mentioned, you know, like that's what I see happening in his future. But you know, the Jenny and Dunk stuff really reminds me of Christopher Mud mm. and his hammer, uh, Christopher the Fourth, I I presume, and his parallels to Gendry. Uh, how he ruled from Old Stones back when Old Stones was this colony that was thriving. And Old Stones is, of course, where Jenny comes from. So I've always had this little theory that since Christopher ruled with his warhammer and a beard from uh, from Riverlands and from Old Stones, I always wanted Arya and Gendry to recolonize Aww. Old Stones and make that their seat. And Arya, you know, be the Lady of the South and Gendry as well be the king. I don't know. I uh, I liked it a lot. Yeah, I mean, what if Ned was right? What if Arya yeah. thought that's not me? It is. I don't know. Anyways, the montage. The song in the montage. Pod's voice is dreamy and the montage is heartbreaking. Yes, it begins with Sam and Gilly in bed with little Sam, who is now no longer a baby. Yeah, he's a young toddler. He is. He grew. I'm proud of him. Aw, four years. <laughs> he did yeah. great. I'm proud of him. It took him a while. <laughs> and then... Man... Them laying in bed is just, they they look so safe and serene and like the next morning doesn't have to come. Yeah. And I wanted to protect them. Yeah. Or whenever, whenever they hear the horn and they're just looking at each other like this is it. Yep. And then you have Sansa and Theon and they're both eating and they're out mm. in the yard exchanging this moment together because they've shared, they've shared a lot. I love them. I really do. And- in the next scene, you get Arya. She's awake in bed, just sitting there while Gendry is, you know, asleep, thinking. Yep. And then as the Unsullied go out and get ready to fight, Missande shares a last passionate kiss with Grey Worm right before he rides off. And right before she dies. Yeah, I, it's it's so sad. It's anyone's game, but... Uh, yep, the title of next episode, Anyone's Game of Thrones. Game changer. Honestly, it- end game. Even the Jorah stuff was, like, compelling. He's somehow the only likable person on Danny's team. I was gonna say there's varies, and I was like, no. Nope. Dude, he was in this episode! Did you see him? He had no lines. But he was he there. He was last episode. And he had, like, an, a line and a half, right? Last episode? Yeah. Talking about how, like, the young yeah. don't like old people or some shit. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And... I mean, I don't know. The Tyrion and Jamie stuff, especially this episode, was really compelling. Oh yeah, they act so well together. Yeah. And then as the song ends, we come down into the crypts where of course. here lies Lyanna Stark. Rip. Yeah. Rip. And Danny is like, oh, this is a little weird. Little weird. Yeah, yeah. So John's like, this is Lyanna Stark, and Danny's like, oh, that's awkward. Uh. I heard some stuff about her and my brother. And she's all like, he raped her. And John's like, no, dude, I'm the heir. I'm the son. Yeah, and again, he's like, so you heard it from your best friend and your brother? Like, that's pretty fucking suspect, right? That's basically right? official. Yeah, and John's like, no, it's true. And she's like, I don't know, dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh my yeah, God. Yeah, she, she tells John that he would be the last male heir 
of House Targaryen and therefore have a claim to the Iron Throne. But it, it's interesting she doesn't state it at that point, right. right? Because that means actually that Jon's claim is stronger than hers by oh, yeah. the um, agnostic primogenitor that the House Targaryen practiced. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just such a different world now, right? Compared to what it was when any of these things could happen for Targaryens. Yeah, it's anyone's game. It's anyone's game over. <laughs> <laughs> but as uh, as she's pulling away from him and she's, you know, very upset about this and that he would believe them because it threatens her claim and, and she's already been feeling pretty fucking lonely and John's not been helping about any of this at all. Ow! 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 It's ghost. No, it was me doing three blasts. Right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, I love that they kept that right. That they had one blast earlier when um Ed and them came back, from like that they kept those things from the Night's Watch, and here they have the three, which obviously means yes. <laughs> so. There's an undead horse that we see, and then it pans up to the White Walkers here. Yeah, and um, no one can convince me that this isn't supposed to remind us of the end of season two, as Sam is on the other side of the wall and like, oh, look, there they are. So, Jenny's song. Jenny's song. I Do you think... So, is this going to have implications on Danny and John's relationship? Because everybody is saying... You know, this is uh, Jenny and Dunk, and Dunk gave up his throne to be with Jenny. I'm going to be real right now, and I think it's not. I I think in the books, a lot of the songs telegraph um, moments that we should see. But George didn't want to write Jenny's song, right? Like, he felt he couldn't do it justice. I think that there's a lot of already existing strong thematic connections between Jenny and Dunk and then Brienne and And Liana and this and that. Yeah, and like the other lyrics about it being about the ghosts of people and I don't know that it means anything further than that. That's just my opinion. I don't know. What do you think? A lot of people have been all like oh, this means Jenny survived. I'm like, no. What? Uh, I think she perished in Summerhall like the rest of them. I read that song very differently then yeah absolutely but people like assumed it because of this and uh i think that's silly but i don't know it, it was beautiful and it was great and i'm very excited to have it so yeah i read never wanted to leave is kind of it's bittersweet but the bitterness is she didn't oh. want to leave and therefore died yes exactly but to channel it along we did get a great message slash tweet from our buddy kw dent who runs the blood of the podcast if you have a chance to check him out on twitter and on podbean he asked the character you're least prepared to let go of who has the highest chance of dying next week but there's so many people yeah there is it's anyone's game anyone's game um maybe brand I don't know if Bran's going to die next week, but I, I, I have this like terrible feeling that if the idea is that magic might leave the world, that Bran has to die at some point. And I'm just like, but he was just a little boy. I don't think Bran's going to go this episode. I don't think it's possible for him to go this episode. I think it's a little too soon. However, 
it's anyone's game, as we've discussed. And I think we're going to see Theon go, and I'm not happy or ready for that. No. Theon's um, my son. Theon's literally in the line of fire from the Night King, so that's... Yeah. He's right there. Yeah. He's guarding the person the Night King wants right now. <sighs> and you know how those things go. Looks at Hodor. Yeah. And you think that's bad. I also think we need to keep an eye on Podrick. I like Pod. I don't... This is probably blasphemous. I'm not gonna be super, I think, fucked up about him leaving. Maybe maybe I could be. Maybe I could be. I I think I'll be sad because I think they'll do it right. I think they're gonna give some characters some send-offs next week. Yeah. Um, who else? Either Missandei or Grey Worm. That's gonna yeah, really be sad. Time, apparently. Yeah, it's like obviously one of them's dying. I don't know which one. I've I've kind of grown close to it. Yeah. You know, I've kind of grown fond of it. Um, I've grown fond of them individually. Uh it was as made up as some of that crap was, I was like, oh, that's sad. So I think. Who else? I don't know, but next week's gonna suck. You know what? Here's my wild card. Wild Melisandra's gonna come back and she's gonna die. You think she's gonna die? I don't even know, like, oh, what yeah. is she doing in the story right now? <laughs> I don't know, but she's probably gonna do some fire shit. Yeah. I think she's gonna, she has to come back sometime, right? It's our, we're already three episodes in. She's gotta come back already. It almost looked like she was in one of the promo pictures with her dress, like her dagged sleeves were in a picture mm-hmm. in the crypts. So I almost wonder if, like, maybe she'll be in the crypts and she'll save them and give them time to be able to go on. I think that could be interesting. I think that would be good. Um... She lived a good life. Is that right? Yeah. She lived. A, she lived a lot of stories and seasons. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think there there are other characters I'm reluctant to say I'm letting go of, but I'm just also like, I don't know that I'm sure that they die next week. But obviously, that's the show, right? They're gonna surprise me and be like, "All right, this person's dead." I'm gonna be like, "Oh word, oh worm, yeah, oh worst." Yeah. I. Yeah. I think there's going to be some surprises. I don't think we're going to love all of it, but it's going to hit us raw, for sure. But of course, you get to see how it uh, hits us and how raw we will be next week. Oh my god. Well, keep coming back, you guys. Thank you for listening. We, uh, we're we having way too much fun with these episodes. They're so long and so fun. Uh, there's just so much to dig into and so much lore we can discuss of what the episode's based on and We're having a blast, so thanks for listening, you guys, to our Game of Thrones Season 8 coverage. Not only did this episode feel like a send-off for a lot of these characters, like, it's just a reminder, we've come this whole journey. Like, It's time for the close. We've come this whole journey together as a fandom. Like, look, we've all come here together, and we're saying goodbye to this, and this time, here's to the nights we felt alive, here's to the... How how do the fucking rest of these lyrics go? Nope, I'm not helping you right now. You just have dug your own grave, grave digger. Oh, so you're saying I'm oh. I'm one of the whites <laughs> that gets reanimated and comes back? I thought you were Sandor Clegane. Oh wow, triple and top. That's why you love me. <laughs> oh my god! As always. Thanks for listening. If you guys enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to us on our platforms that we host the podcast on, including Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Acast. 
And of course, if you want to keep in touch with us, maybe you want to submit some ideas for things that'll be said in future episodes or keep track of when these come out, be sure to subscribe to us on our social media. We are at Girls Gone Canon on Twitter, and you can also shoot us an email on girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Yes, and like we said today on the top of the episode, we will be hosting a live stream on our Patreon for patrons and other VIP members that maybe steal the link. Uh, we have tiers starting at $1 and up. You can check it out at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, but do not feel obligated to spend. If you are enjoying our episodes every Friday, our book episodes, and Tuesdays, our show episodes, great. Please keep it up. We are happy to have you. Yes, and we have a bunch of exciting stuff coming down the line. For example, next week we are going to have Matt, a.k.a. Joe Magician, who apparently, correctly foretold, uh, the meaning of some of the spirals that the others have been making, according to yes. what the showrunner said, on our John 8 reread episode. Yes, can't wait. Very big chapter for us. Uh, and apparently, I've heard we're doing it at the same time as not a cast. Who? If you've ever heard of them, Oops. they're these guys. I don't know. I don't really know them. But uh, yeah, we're doing it at the same time as not a cast. How did the fates align? So stay tuned for that. Can't wait to bring Joe Magician on and uh, can't wait to come back to y'all. Indeed. But until then, goodbye. Bye, guys. <laughs>